to OS News Podcast, episode number 39. Um, what on earth's the date? 19th of December 2010. Um, we're doing a special... Um, uh, we're doing like a, spe- a special episode to try and uh, cover the end of the year and, 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 and make up for the uh, complete and absolute lack of podcasts for I don't know how many months. Six months or something like <laughs> We apologise. Six months, I think, actually. Mm. Um, we apologise for that. It's just simply a matter of we've been busy. Right? Um, it's all done volunteer and, 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 uh, uh, and we can only do the podcast if everybody's around to, to, to do it. Yeah, and, and and Microsoft check didn't come in, so it took a little longer. Than yeah, we <laughs> had some problems arranging all the the necessary backhanders. Yeah, and all the bribes and everything, and the Aston Martins and the free <laughs> free coffee and stuff like that. It took a little longer than usual, so we went on strike basically. Oh, I should say who's with us today. Uh, oh. On the round table, I've got myself, Croc Cayman, uh, Tom Harada. Hello, and. Uh, with us uh, often before, it's Tess Flynn. Hello. Good to hear from you. Um, thank you, everybody, for coming, being able to, to, to put this together today. Um, uh, instead of like our usual podcast where we just cover the week's news, we've obviously had more than a week's news, and it would, it would <laughs> take an eternity to go through that many pages. No, I found the, uh, the our usual podcast. I found that pretty funny already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. How do you like your podcasts? Semi-regular. <laughs> yeah. Semi-regular for not six months, but anyway, go on. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Uh, oh no, so yes, we, we, we're going to really just try and cover the, the the big sort of changes that we've seen just through 2010 itself. Um, you know how the how the market has changed, how operating systems changed, how OS News itself has changed in 2010, yep. and then also I suppose devote some time at the end to think <laughs> to what we would think will be happening uh, sort of in 2011 and so on. Okay. Um, Let's you start. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, if you want me to start, because I mean, my area would obviously be the web, and and I think one of the big themes of 2010 has been the emergence of HTML5 as as a, a competing not as a competing as as an operating system of itself. Really, um, HTML5. Um, was sort of work begun on it in about 2007. Um, I did my website in 2008, um, and then 2009 browser support took a sort of suddenly a big jump upwards, and and, and uh, HTML5 really started get going. And then 2010, we we saw the takeoff of of uh, HTML5 video. Um, with uh, Google purchasing uh, onto technologies of 120 million dollars, uh, and then open sourcing uh, the WebM, uh, well, open sourcing the VP8 codec, and then going on to produce the WebM container uh, as a competitor to the uh, monopoly of uh, H.264 uh, on the web. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Actually, you should also discuss. Um. OS News itself covered this actually a huge amount. In fact, just to the chagrin of some of our readers, and I think you know justifiably so, we we, we covered a lot about H.264 um, because other websites were simply not looking at the bigger picture of the the, the patent issues um, with H.264 and what that could mean for the web if the web video on the web is tied to um, a closed format. Yeah, we did cover that quite a lot in the beginning um, um, in the begin. well no let, let me put it differently you're right in that not, a lot of other sites didn't really look at it they saw the move to like HTML5 video and they figured well it's it's not flash so it's probably better and open and while you know using straight H264 is 
better uh, compared to, to Flash, at least especially earlier this year before all the new Flash versions came out. It was just you know much lighter on the processor. It was more open. You know, it was it was you know pretty good overall. But it's still using a codec which um, has some very complicated set of rules governing its use. So uh, I believe that even you know the codecs included in Windows and Mac OS X and included in many hardware like you know uh, you know cameras and stuff like that and then other video equipment there are usually licenses that like only allow non-commercial use for instance and if you want yes. to do commercial use you have to pay a boatload of money and all that stuff uh, and of course it, it doesn't just go for hardware but also for software so for instance someone like like the Mozilla Foundation they can't include um, um, uh, a decoder for it, one, because it's not free and it doesn't fit in their philosophy, but also because it's simply too expensive. I mean, it, it would cost them a lot of money and, uh, you know, it would also mean that um, Linux distributions would not be able to ship Firefox because Firefox would no longer be completely free and the license that the Mozilla Foundation would buy from uh, the MPEG-LA, it wouldn't actually transfer over to a downstream, so it's... it's no, it would only cover... Officially branded, released versions of you know, yeah. you know Firefox itself, which is not always the, which is under special consideration in Linux, etc., because they're doing their own source builds, etc. But Mozilla are kind enough to lend them the 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 branding under the auspices of 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 that Mozilla, you know, it meets their particular standards. But the licensing for MPEG LA, you know, wouldn't wouldn't cover that at all. It would only cover official uh, binaries coming directly from uh, Mozilla and not source builds upstream. <laughs> Yeah, and so basically, because several larger companies, and I'm looking especially towards Microsoft and Apple, they're really promoting it as you know, HTML5 is open, HTML5 video is much more open than Flash, and it is indeed much more open, but it's not actually open if it uses H.264, and that might not be much of a problem today. You might not actually see it as being a problem, but it will affect you some way in the future in the same way uh, that. It didn't uh, like the uh, that, that that other image format. What's it called? Um, I don't know what's called in English. Uh, GIF. I don't know what oh, it's. A GIF. Yeah. Yeah, GIF. Exactly. That was, of course, problematic. And you know, basically, what what we're doing now, and by by you know, uh, entrenching A264 even more into the entire uh, video ecosystem, is basically setting us up for major problems. Down oh the way. yes, uh, the MPEG LA have everybody so strung up that they can sue anybody for any reason yeah, they that can, they so they, choose. Yeah, I'm just now looking like around my room and I think there's probably, uh, um, um, their patents are probably being used in my workstation, in my media center, in my digital cable box, in my TV, mm. in my PlayStation 2, in my Xbox 360, <laughs> uh, in my uh, DVD player from Harman Kardon, in my laptop here, in my, my MacBook Air, and uh, there's a server somewhere which also runs Windows, so it also has... Uh, I have my phone, obviously, my iPhone. Uh, I have another phone somewhere which also has it, so... <laughs> it's kind of problematic and yeah. I have two cameras <laughs> one aspect of, of the H.264 debate which was happened a lot on our own website but also happened largely on other websites because they were avoid, they were not discussing the patent issue was that of quality everybody seemed to argue that H.264 is better quality than whatever else alternative there was and that seemed to be consistently missing the point that that the quality is totally irrelevant if it is a patented technology which um, any commercial use you have to have to pay for that greatly restricts what software it can be put into and so forth and there was this massive debate about if OG was up to the same standard of H.264 under certain conditions using certain video recordings and so forth. The fun part part that was that 
you know, if you would show like two videos, like back then before WebM was was released, mm. and you would, would show them a video of Theora and a video of um, um, encoded in H.264, and you'd play them side by side, you wouldn't see a difference. But if you made a still of that yeah. <laughs> of that video and you enlarged it <laughs> twenty times, then you saw a wrong pixel in the Theora video. It's a disgrace. That's basically what they were saying. I just kind of left my behind off when I read all that stuff because it was, like you said, it's entirely missing the point. I mean, it's, the beauty of Theora was, you know, it's it's open source, so it can be improved. Like, it, it, it was improving continuously. Improved, yes. Well, they released 1.1. Um, I can't pronounce the name of it. Um, and that was also a big improvement, which which arguably brought it up to sort of H.264 standard under certain conditions and so forth. And they've also been working on 1.2, this version <laughs> that, um, uh, that, that's even better than that. Um, but then along came obviously WebM and changed the discussion entirely and now we're arguing whether VP8 is as good as H.264 when they're, they're both sort of in the same similar generation because VP and sorry, OG was based on VP3 which is a significantly older uh, piece of software than uh, than H.264 Yeah, but the, uh, the, the fun thing was that the first version <laughs> that Google released of um, um, it's VP8, right? Yeah. yeah. The first version they released of VP8 this year, it had several optimizations removed. That optimizations that would otherwise um, come far too close to any possible patents owned by the MPEG-LA. And now they're basically implementing all sorts of new optimizations into the encoder, into the decoder, to uh, mostly improve the speed of, the, of both of them, but also to slowly start improving the um, quality again. Bring the quality even you know more you know up to up to snuff and by using di slightly different techniques obviously than what the MPEG LA is, is using for H.264. so it's it's already getting better very quickly and of course Google owns YouTube which is you know a pretty big um, 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 part of, of video on the web and video in general. Mm. Um, uh, the first hardware decoder, no, hardware encoding and decoding, I'm not sure if they do both, but the first hardware chips are becoming slowly becoming available from, from major companies, and I believe that basically every large semiconductor company except Intel is supporting uh, WebM at yeah. this point. Maybe Intel already joined, I don't know, at least during the announcement, they weren't there, but all the others were like Texas Instruments and Samsung, and uh, you know, uh, AMD was there, and all those big ARM um, companies, yeah. They, yeah, they were all there, so except for Intel, that's the only one. Um, but Intel will join. Oh, I believe NVIDIA was there, so... Yeah, there's a lot of argument that uh, uh, video acceleration can be done without specific hardware by using GPGPU, uh, yeah. you know, decoding, etc. Hardware shaders and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, I've no, you know, I'm not an expert on that no. subject, so I can't really, you know, comment on that, but... It, you know, logically, that indeed should be possible. If there's no, um, um, like, you know, hardware special... You know, completely hardware that's completely specialized in A six six four. You should somehow be able to just reprogram the darn thing, the, your uh, your 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 graphical processor, and uh, use that. It should be possible. If it can be done for A two six four, it can be done for VP eight. There's absolutely no reason why that shouldn't be possible. At least that's what my you know um, um, uneducated mind would say about uh, about no. that stuff. There was a lot of pressure um, for, for for Google to basically embrace HTML5 because of all the complaints with Flash, um, and initially, obviously, pressure to say adopt OG and and, and uh, Google's stance on that was kind of odd at points, saying that there wouldn't be enough bandwidth in the world to to, to use OG, and and but obviously behind the scenes they had a different opinion in mind, and I think simply was that OG itself didn't offer nearly enough uh, features for what 
you know, to be able to actually replace YouTube in the long term. Og is just the actual video uh, uh, encode itself. Um, yeah, because Og is the. Oh, sorry, thing. correction. Yes, because um, yeah, yeah the, the the Vorbis is actually is what they are using the audio side of things. So actually, yeah. perfectly, they're happy with that. Now they 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 rebranded a, a Matroska. Um, container. container as as WebM because that allows multiple streams embedded at the same time. It allows for subtitling. Uh, it allows for a, a whole slew of features actually that will eventually allow HTML5 video to meet the the, the current sort of capabilities of, of Flash video, which is far far still far more advanced to be honest. Yeah, and with you know with the slow and finally the arrival of, of hardware chips, which will probably be. I wouldn't, you know, put it past Google to say in order to have your Android device certified, it needs to have, um, yeah. at some point, it needs to have not just uh, acceleration for H.264, but also for WebM. And if they mandate that, then, you know, every phone that would come out after that point would have um, um, WebM uh, yeah. uh, chips the... built in. And, you know, Android is incredibly popular and it will overtake the iPhone if it hasn't already. Actually, so probably a good opportunity to segue into um, in, into basically Android and and the the, the explosion yeah, yes. of Android handsets and and uh, mobile operating systems. Uh, th um, you know, since the beginning of twenty ten. Yeah, I mean, when I bought my iPhone a little, you know, did I buy it a year ago? Yeah, about a year ago. Um, I, you know. I was looking for the best. I know I, I when I buy something, I don't really look at the politics of things because, especially when it comes to, especially when it comes to a phone. I mean, it's something that I use every day, like you know, for two years because that's how long a contract. That's how long I usually uh, take a contract. So I want the best, and I just don't really look at politics because it's something that I use every day. I mean, you don't look at politics when you buy toilet paper. I mean, you use it every day, so you know, he's just going to buy what's best, and it doesn't really matter if it's you know. I don't know, made by children or something. I don't know. It's just you buy it and you use it. And the phone is basically the same thing. So, you know, I went to the stores and I looked what we had. And I, and because I spent a lot of time on the internet, I read about all these gorgeous Android phones that were already out, like, on the other side of the ocean in, in the U.S. And I figured, well, those are really good phones. Not like the Droid back then and all that stuff. And I, well, that's really something that I would want. But back here, back home here in the Netherlands, they didn't sell those yet. So I bought an iPhone right before the Android explosion, because the Android explosion has finally arrived on this uh, little swamp as well. <laughs> so what you see now is that Android is very quickly catching up to, to the iPhone here as well, even though a lot of um, um, people in the iPhone camp, in the Apple camp, said, well, uh, the Android won't do as well in Europe because the iPhone is available on multiple carriers here. But if you just look at what's happening here the past year, the past six to eight yes. months... It, it's not true. I mean, even though the iPhone is available here from basically whatever carrier you want, um, Android is still growing just as fast here as it did or as it is doing in the United States. So it's it's pretty big. So I think it's Especially doing very... to the expense of Symbian and Research in Most uh -huh. Motion, yeah. Yeah, which is really, really impressive considering the mutual entrenchment of those market shares within... Uh, Europe and the United States. I'm not sure about entrenchment. Uh, RIM simply had a product which no one else was producing um, up until this point now. So they're, they're simply facing competition for something that they had a lead on. I'm not certain about entrenchment other than business area, I mean, not in the consumer front. In fact, it was only up until recently, because of the iPhone and things like that, I've ever seen a BlackBerry outside of a business. But if you look at the market numbers, that actually does signify an entrenchment because the majority of smartphone users were and still are business users. And in the United States, smartphones, while they are catching up, 
aren't aren't going to be the majority market share yet. They're still building to that. We're, you know, a backwards country in some respects. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's it's not much different here, though. I mean, smartphones are popular That's here. That's not going but... to earn me some hate mail on the thread. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's not that much different here because I don't, I think most, well, let me see. Most people here probably still have a regular feature phone, especially if people are a little bit older, so like yeah, 30 exactly. and up, 35 and up, 40 and up maybe. They all have feature phones, except for my parents, by the way, who bought iPhones and are completely in love with them. But it's, uh, it's, it's, so Nokia still has an incredible amount of you know, goodwill everywhere because those people have only used Nokia's feature phones, and Nokia's feature phones are awesome. They're probably the best you can buy. It's just that their smartphones are how shall I put that delicately, are lacking. <laughs> to put it like that. Symbian still has a long way to go um, before it's, uh, it's, it's you know, up to par with, with Android and, and, and the iOS. So, but you know, Nokia is doing very well in Europe, and, and RIM is still doing well on the surface at least. I don't know how, you know how that is actually going, but on the surface at least they're doing really well in the U.S. still. But um, um, their stuff is still aging. I mean, they released that Nokia, not Nokia, that uh, um, um, BlackBerry Torch thing, which wasn't that well received, if I recall correctly, especially the software side of, of, of that thing. So I'm just not sure how they're going to do be able to... Do you mean the playbook or do you mean the Torch? No, the Torch, because the playbook is not... I mean that, that phone, that thing that slid up and everything. Okay, that, had, yeah, that's the Torch. Yeah, exactly, because it was still it's still running the old, um, um, between quotation marks, the old BlackBerry operating system. While, of course, they're now working on bringing um, their playbook operating system, which is based on QNX, yay, they're now you know, going to bring that to, uh, to phones. But it's, it's going to take a while, because as far as I know, the playbook is scheduled for somewhere in the next quarter, I believe, like the first quarter of, of 2011. And, uh, you well, know, I, I hate to point out that just because it's old doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. I mean, the no, majority but... of the compu- uh, computing power in the world is still running on mainframes, which don't even have a graphical interface. Now, I know. <laughs> I know. It doesn't, mean, it, it doesn't necessarily the, the, have to that, be The but... thing that RIM has working against them is their perception is that the operating system is just not particularly new or shiny. They've gone to great lengths in BlackBerry OS 6 in order to repair that image and rework the UI to make it nicer and really overwork the uh, the browser because that was a oh, huge, yeah. huge hole in their mobile experience. Even up to BlackBerry OS 5, the, the browser is just laughable compared to even a 1.0 Android device. It was pretty impressive. Pretty impressively rudimentary. Um, it's still going to take a while before they can move on to a newer platform that can take advantage of uh, more hardware, more encoding, and so on. It's not that it's bad because it's old. It's it's it just it's has bad. a lot of cruft. It has a lot of cruft because it's been around for a while, and the consumer demands have moved on significantly since then. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to say that it's bad because it's old. I, I probably should have said it's old and bad. I think that's probably a better, it's a slight difference. But, but, but yeah, that's basically what I was trying to say. Yeah. So um, another big thing this year, then I think, which is naturally moving on to, is is tablets. All the sudden craze that it's the 1980s all again, and this idea has, has, has sprung up and finally managed to take hold. You've got yeah. Everybody and their uncle making tablets now. 
Yeah, but I'm still yeah. wondering how many people are actually buying. Them. That's what I want to think. Is what, that's what I want to know as well. Is this really? Is this market really going to actually go somewhere? Is it? Well, is it cannibalizing netbooks or is it cannibalizing laptops? Let me put it this way. Um... The iPad was released, what, in January in 2010, so the beginning of this year, and a lot of people thought, yeah, who would be using this? It just sounds like a toy, and throughout the year, whenever I went down to down to my, uh, my job's headquarters to do for a conference or a class or whatever, every time you saw more and more people having iPads, and most of them were of agreeably business users, but they were having them to supplement their experience because they simply didn't want to carry around a, a huge laptop that was their own in addition to their work laptop. And now we have a lot of individuals who are saying, and a lot of marketing that's saying that the most desired Christmas gift this year for most children is what? An iPad. There is a market here for a device like this. And the huge shift towards this market and the, the sudden emergence of what can be done with it is, is really quite fascinating, in my opinion. Well, I think that one of the problems that I have, being Dutch and living in the Netherlands, is that Dutch people aren't really open to new things. So, uh, you know, the iPad <laughs> has been out here for a while as well. And, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm in, the, uh, in, the, in, in, an, in an Apple retailer, I see it, of course. But outside of that Apple retailer, I've never seen one. You know, and I go to Amsterdam regularly, so it's not like I'm some sort of hillbilly somewhere in, in nowhere. Well, I am a hillbilly, but I also, you know, go to Amsterdam a lot. So you should think that I would see these things somewhere, but I've never seen one outside of um, of an Apple retailer. I just so I, so my perception is probably a little bit skewed, skewed, but I still don't really see the appeal of the whole thing. Also, because when I am using it, which is in stores, I always try to pick one up and just play with it for a while. I just don't find it very comfortable. I, that might just be me, but I find that thing, the iPad at least, incredibly heavy, and the screen is so large. Like the swiping motions that are like tiny flicks on an iPhone, they're like entire <laughs> sweeps on the iPad. <laughs> I just found it. It's no longer a finger flift. It's a Gadolf-esque gesticulation. Yeah, exactly. It's like a, you know, nonchalant that sort of stuff. It's, <laughs> it was. Uh, I just didn't find it very comfortable, and I'm just. Not sure that if I already don't find it comfortable, and I'm you know young and everything, and the thing is like also geared towards um, people who've never used computers before or aren't really comfortable with computers. How are they going to perceive such a thing? If it's, I just I was tired. My entire arm, my arms were tired in like thirty seconds because of all the swooping and the sweeping and the swapping and the. It just didn't really feel very comfortable. But again, that might just be me and my inherent aversion against new things. So it's <laughs> it's difficult to say. <laughs> they are addictive little devices. Um, while I try to keep all Apple products out of my apartment for my own personal, you know, curmudgeonliness, I did have a friend over for a few days uh, mid-summer that brought her iPad and it was really quite an impressive little device. I can certainly see how that can work into the average casual use. Um, I guess what what helps is that have that 
you know, it's difficult to say use a laptop if you're if you're lying on the floor after a really exhausting day. But a tablet device is a lot easier to do that with, and there are other interesting use cases for it, such as if you're in an airplane, uh, an iPad-like device is actually much, much more comfortable to use versus a laptop because, you know, in economy, you can't even get the laptop screen all the way up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't fly a lot, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh. <laughs> The success of thing is well, with any Apple product or with any new uh, product category, let's say you know the smartphone, stroke, um, iPad or anything like that. Um, I always basically give it two years before I start making judgment because um, it normally takes that long before we get the main consumers using it as their products. Uh, a lot of the, the initial uptake is the geeks basically um yeah or apple users in this case yeah exactly um and then when you you know now it's been the, the iphone has been out for a couple of years and i do see them about a lot and, and, and consumers are using them now and are aware of this technology and uh, and are happy with it and, and and i think the success of the ipad is going to simply be um and tablets in general is user friendliness is just sim simplicity um us the geeks we are so used to being open to the the knowledge of the, the capability of our desktop computers etc it never strikes us that these uh, devices these alternative devices aren't uh, that they're not as capable as seeing that as a, as a good thing um bringing simplicity of, of computing to the masses is like you know the nintendo wii um suddenly is bringing gaming to a larger market and, and yeah, look at the success they've got with that the, the yeah same but there's a, of... there's a big but regarding the wii because the wii is doing incredibly bad right now and i think that if you look at which uh, consoles have a much longer shelf life, or no, not shelf life, that's the wrong word, have a much longer lifespan. Damn. You've got to be looking at the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. Exactly. Does that mean that the tablets, are, once they've got over that initial first two years and then consumers exactly. start using them, are they going to fade out after that? That's what I'm waiting for. And I think that in the end they will, because computers, for all intents and purposes, are still used for getting stuff done. And while you can do some light stuff on the iPad, as soon as you need to type up a report that's longer than two pages, you're going to need a laptop anyway. And, you know, you're going, you're going to get out your laptop. And then are people, will they, you know, will normal people, as in people who aren't either geeks or Apple users, will they, or people already don't, who don't own a computer anyway, will they, you know, be willing to spend a couple of hundred euros more than that even five six hundred euros every year to buy a new ipad or every couple of years alongside buying a new laptop i mean i just i mean if i have this macbook air thing now it's not much heavier than an ipad and it you know it's it's really it has that same small you know feeling and easy to use and everything and i'm just not entirely sure that if people are walking through through, through a store and they need to buy. They're going to college for the first time, or they're going. You know, they're you know starting a new year or whatever. And they need new equipment. If they see uh, a MacBook Air or another you know uh, ultralight laptop, um, are they going to buy that, or are they going to buy a normal laptop and an additional iPad and spend like I don't know twenty five hundred dollars? I just don't see the longevity in that plan. Basically, oh, it depends on each individual's means and what they're interested in. Yeah, what the course, use cases are. It, it's a little bit difficult to do the, uh, to do this without any significant numbers to back it up. Yeah, that's true. This is about the apps and develop and, and the developer side of things. Though Apple are hoping that the, that the developers will help create the momentum for this. If they can get into bed with companies like EA, then they're looking to try and 
permanentize this iPad um, market by basically putting the weight behind it that you can't get content anywhere else. Yeah, but without buttons. Yeah. As stupid as that sound, without buttons, <laughs> game, without buttons, gaming will always be. Gaming without buttons will always be casual gaming, and casual gaming does not have longevity. It just doesn't. Ah, uh, be careful when you yes. say that, because I, I believe the the majority of the income in the gaming industry still comes from casual games, because there are a lot more of them, even if there are fewer. Uh, even even if the 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 pomp and circumstance and the amount of income per game is lower. There's a lot more casual gamers out there than hardcore gamers. And even to the point that we have reviewers such as Yahtzee from the Escapist magazine. Yeah, my hero! <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 doing reviews for the iPhone games, which two years ago I would have never expected. But <laughs> he's actually saying things like this. The, Things like the, don't don't ignore this market. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, the, the, the iPad is screwing over though. Um, is it, Nintendo? Nintendo are certainly. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in, but... in general, I, I would rather say that smartphones are screwing over the portable gaming market in general, and this is predominantly hurting Nintendo because they have the largest market share for that. I mean, I might have a PSP, but was the last time you even turned the bloody thing on? <laughs> Does it still have those weird, weird like buttons on the the weird shoulder buttons that gives you hook fingers? PSP. <laughs> I absolutely hated those. The claw. Like, PSP one thousand. So it's like three hardware revisions old at this point. Yeah, so but then yes. it's, yeah, it still has those. You get really weird hook shaped fingers and a little like the the analog stick. If you're eating anything that leaves dust on your fingers, it will accumulate <laughs> under that stick. It's that it's thing is. It's so annoying. <laughs> well, but the interesting news is that there there has been significant amounts of rumors about the Sony Ericsson Z1, which yeah. is supposed to be an Android-based um, portable gaming device that is also incidentally a phone. You could say it's uh, PSP Go plus phone plus yeah. Android. <laughs> so that, that will be interesting because... Um, I, if one company can pull off a phone plus um, actual gaming device, it should be Sony. Mm. I mean, they have all the know-how, but the, the problem generally with Sony is is that they've got brilliant people and brilliant know-how that just still manage to screw it up all the time. Oh, heck yes. <laughs> what, what's it, what, what the iPhone has done with, with gaming has changed our expectations on price, essentially. Yeah, on, I mean, on, would you on go out and spend... Uh, on mobile gaming. Oh, yeah, portable gaming, sorry, yes, indeed. Uh, um, yes. It, it, you, you would not go out and... I, you know, I would not even consider going out and spending £40 on a, a Nintendo DS game. That would That's absolutely absurdity. Um... And the, the, the PSP Go, uh, Sony's, in inverted commas, experiment, because <laughs> when it fails, you call it an experiment, yeah. um, it, it the, the, you know, showed the ignorance of management in there that, that uh, yes, people want a, 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 an internet um, a tie, you know, um, a gaming system that's tied to, to, to an uh, um, network delivered games, um, but you don't want to pay. You know, they don't want to pay retail prices for games, which we've already established with the iPhone. And you know, they don't like it when Sony back out of claims like, "Oh, you'll get free downloads of your already existing, um, you know, uh, UMD games," and then back out on that. And right. so this is what worries me about this whole Sony thing: is that yes, they can make the hardware, uh, yes, they can do the software, um, but can they actually do the the, the um, can they price it right? Because <laughs> they haven't done that correctly with the PSP Go. What Whatsoever. Yeah, but I also think that there's a difference in the kind of depth that you get in a 
in a random iPhone game and the kind of death that you would get from a PSP game because you know PSP games are usually I, I I don't I haven't played that thing a whole lot but they're usually they're much closer in in, in size and quality and budget and yeah, stuff like but that. But that will change because there's now companies yeah, starting to yeah. make big budget games for the iPhone like EA are getting on on that thing so that that's going to change as well. Uh, Sony are actually yes um, though they've had so many problems they they're doing the right thing ultimately is, is to try and get into this because Nintendo are so out of the touch with the internet and 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 uh, you know like. The we shop and it just it's still stuck in 2006 and there's no yeah, demos and there's no videos and well they've done a few demos like a couple of a year and it's just yeah, like but, laughable but nintendo is in trouble in general because you know the wii was like a nice break for them and it earned them a lot of money but um i'm, I'm you know uh, tess just brought up yahtzee and if there's one thing i mean i agree with a lot of stuff that he says but if there's one thing that i agree with it's that motion controllers are a dead end i mean it's 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 fun for a while, but it's not going to last. It's not going to stay because, in the end, a controller is by definition better. And I'm, you know, it's 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 always better. It's always more accurate and, and all that stuff. But Nintendo doesn't really have anything else going for it right now. It was the first to bring out the motion controllers, and now you know Sony has that weird thing with their glowing condom on on the end. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Microsoft has this creepy the magical camera girl thing. wand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, um, and well, Microsoft of course has that Connect thing, and the only the only cool thing about Connect is that you that you can actually connect it to a PC and do really cool stuff with it. But you know, it's I I do agree that's a dead end. And but besides their motion controller, what does Nintendo have? I mean, it has it basically re-releases Mario, Zelda, and Metroid uh, after two years, yeah. and that's it. And you know, Metroid is awesome. I mean, especially the uh, the really old Metroids, like on the uh, on the uh, Super Nintendo and the Game Boy, they're awesome. But and I, I did like uh, the first attempt at 3D because it really captured the whole Metroid feel. But what what else does Nintendo have besides they, that? What's odd about Nintendo is they are afraid of of, of new things. There's two yeah. big examples I can think of where they've found new. Uh, where, where, where development companies Super have done something. Mario Galaxy yeah. 2 is they... exactly the same as part 1. It's exactly mm. the same. Now, but... if you imagine, um, uh, what was the first example? Oh, um, Dinosaur Planet, you know, where, where um, somebody came up with Dinosaur Planet and then they quickly changed that into Star Fox Adventures. And the most recent one being uh, Kirby's Epic Yarn, which of course was originally to, not to include Kirby at all, but they were afraid of the idea not having Gravitas or you know, ground and, and changed it into a Kirby game. They seem to be utterly afraid afraid of doing anything new yeah and that's going to kick them in the butt it, it's going to you know like a boomerang it's going to come around and it's going to cause problems because if you have no i mean you can have some fancy new ideas when it comes to hardware but in the end it's all about the software in this case the games and if your games don't um you know aren't pushing envelopes basically um to use a tired old phrase um people are going to get tired of them so there's only so many times you can release well like Mar- if if they would now come out with Mario Mario Galaxy three and it'd be exactly the same, I mean, you know it's <laughs> right. you can't keep well, on doing that. At, at if some I point. understand Nintendo's uh, internal structure correctly, they're very managerial focused. So any game has to go through an extensive certification process and is subject to a huge amount of creative control from on top. And we're finding in a lot of 
the the old stalwarts of the industry that this is actually causing a lot of stifling and a lot of recycling of ideas and the lower to the stack that you get and you find this a lot in the mobile space because there's a lot less barrier of entry to those devices that you have independent creators coming up with new stuff and trying to be innovative and different yeah, and the, the Play, PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 allow that as well. I mean, it's really easy, relatively easy to get your, your indie project on Xbox Live. It's a little bit harder to get it on the PlayStation market, but it's, it's still much easier than you, would, than you would be able to get stuff on, on, on what's, I don't even know what the Nintendo variant is called, but it's, it's, it's a lot easier. Microsoft and, and Sony are pretty open to allowing new things to, to, to come out on, on, on Xbox Live and, and the PlayStation Network. Uh, and there, you know, you can even um, have this this entire homebrew community that makes it like a, what, what's it called XNA, right? Like the developer thing mm-hmm. for the uh, for the for for the Xbox, where you know basically anybody can get their game on on the Xbox, and uh, I, I believe Sony is doing similar things. But Nintendo isn't doing that, so they have like three games every year, and they're either Mario, Zelda, or Metroid, or a variant of those. So it's it's you know it's just not. I don't think that will allow them to. I don't think they can continue that for very long. At some point, it's going to implode. This is probably not the first time that anyone's made that kind of an argument because Nintendo's been doing this for years and years and years. The way that Nintendo's been able to survive is to adapt adapt themselves and target new market shares as they emerge. So they keep going after the young people and getting them into their games who've never heard of Mario, Zelda, or Metroid before and having them (laughs) play them. And then by the time that they have gone through the whole cycle with that, for one generation, the next one's ready and prime for the picking, so they could do it all over again. That's true. By the way, we're going to have to little break. Going to have to have a little break because I need to go to the uh, you know the little boys thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be back in a second. <laughs> Coffee, you know, it's you know. Um, we need to um, get back on topic if ever such there was a thing. Um, <laughs> now, I wanted to cover what was it? We're looking at uh, big inferences in, in, in 2010. Uh, what was everything I wanted to get onto? Um, damn, I'm lost now. Uh, oh no, I suppose we should get onto because um, we've covered what I've said about um, HDMI5 and we've covered what Tessa said about um, Android, so we should perhaps get onto um, another big thing in 2010, or actually it's a big thing every year, and that's basically companies suing other companies. <laughs> it's been a banner year for lawyers, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, that really uh, makes our day. Yeah, it's been a bit of a crazy year with basically, especially in the mobile space and some companies oh, from outside the mobile space going into the mobile space. Basically, everybody is suing everyone. Right. It's, I, I, I completely lost track. And, and when, when all this started, I used to start every item with like a short recap with links to the older stories. But I just quit doing that because <laughs> I just don't know anymore. I just don't know um, which lawsuit started when and who started what and how they all interact. So I, usually, I, just, I just don't do the whole recap thing anymore. I just say somebody's suing someone. Here, have fun with it. It's, <laughs> it, just, it doesn't make any sense anymore. I, the only thing that I hope that comes out of this is that some people, um, that the people in Europe 
uh, high up in Europe, they stay awake because we have a slightly better um, patent system than uh, the U.S. does. So I hope that they remain somewhat awake because of all this nonsense and you know try to stop the uh, software patents and all that nonsense. And I hope that people in Washington um, actually wake up. But considering the fact that you know even free healthcare scares the crap out of them, I think that you know changing the patent <laughs> system will probably uh, is not very high on their list, even if. Um, the system is now basically collapsing under itself in the mobile space, that is. Um, yeah, in that sense, it's been a crazy year, and it's only going to get crazier <laughs> in, in 2011, I'd say. Well, it's a new, it's a new market, so every, so every company is trying to go for an edge of whatever they can, and it's a lot easier to lawyer up than to actually bring in a competing product. Yeah, well, yeah. True. Every every new um, platform always ensures that there's a new, um, you know, there's a new person on top, um, and uh, they're all clamouring to try and basically keep their their, you know, not to be the one that's going to lose out in all of this. Because what's so stunning about this year is just how the, the the focus has has completely shifted away from the desktop, and there is so much money and attention and marketing blitz going into mobile products now. Yeah, because the desktop market isn't a growth market. Nope. Uh, and mobile market, when it comes to smartphones, is a growth market because I believe that only like two or three percent of phones sold are smartphones worldwide. I'm taking that out of my behind, but I believe it's something like that. So it's there's a lot of potential for growth there, and the desktop market is completely saturated. And in, and besides a few gigs, nobody really gives a can I say crap? Yeah, nobody really gives a crap. <laughs> <laughs> nobody really gives a crap about um, about you know who's running what. And I see people around me, you know, intermingling Mac and Windows like it's like there's no tomorrow. They they don't really care about it. Well, that's you get us on to the 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 the. the, the legal problems we're getting at hand and that is um, you know DMCA and, and, and the problem of the jailbreaking, well not the problem of jailbreaking, the fact that we have to do any jailbreaking in the first place, that we've got this brand new market where there's a lot of um, a growth potential um, and we're being locked out of our own devices in the name of I'm, I'm not quite sure what. We have to be protected against ourselves, don't yes. you know? If if you give people freedom, they will abuse it. Basically, that's that's at least that's what you know what what um, um, and the large companies want us to believe. Um, and there is probably some truth to that. But um, what I like is the approach that Google took with the uh, CR forty eight laptop. I, I believe they have some sort of hardware switch somewhere. Or, yeah, I, it's it's I, on, it's under the battery cover. Yeah, exactly. So basically, uh, when you buy it, it's just like uh, an iPhone. It, you know, you can't uh, mess with it and, and, and do your own stuff. But there's actually a hardware switch, like like Tess said, under the battery cover that you can flip and then or flick, flip, flick, it's, whatever. It's under the battery cover, under a warranty sticker, which is actually <laughs> which is actually wonderfully elegant if you think about it because if you do if you do actually want to flip the switch you have to you you will literally have to encounter a physical barrier to your yeah well, that's good but that's good. Yes, exactly. Because you know you you're you're informed at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's it's uh, I mean I, I a lot of people seem to think that people who advocate jailbreak and or at least rail against closing down stuff is they usually say well uh, and let's just talk about Apple because they are the, the most adamant about this um, they say 
yeah, but Apple can't support all the jailbreak people. They don't friggin' have to. It's it's not about, you know, if I jailbreak and I've worked my warranty, okay, it's my choice. I mean, I have a brain. I can think. I can, you know, mull consequences and stuff ah, like that. Ah, but does Apple know that? <laughs> okay, Sometimes that's... I wonder. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's true. But basically, I mean, if, if, you know, if I want to do it with my own hardware, I should be able to do it. And I, should be, I shouldn't be, you know, punished for it. I don't, is, I don't disagree with I that, but what does I that bode for? Necessarily, the hardware manufacturers that we need to attack here. I I don't even think it's the operating system creators we need to attack here. I actually think, uh, from my perspective, it's the carriers that are actually oh, yeah. imposing. Yeah, a lot true. Of this yeah, definitely. Because they're they're all screaming. Well, we need to keep our network secure because yeah. we don't know if it's secure in the first place. <laughs> yeah, but again, that is, that is, I'm not sure, but isn't, that is kind of more of an American thing, right? Because over it here, is, it's, a lot of these, a lot of these, a lot of the movement in this, in this field is coming from where? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> that, I, I mean, I hate to point that out, but. <laughs> it is true. No. No, but, you know, you know I can, uh, you know, America's, not, America's not known for cultural empiricism. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I can get whatever phone I want here on whatever network, and changing networks is so incredibly easy because also we're a very small country. So, you know, getting basically every carrier here has nationwide coverage, like full 100%. So, and they had that starting 15 years ago. So it's. Uh, yeah, but if it's, you can't run your own operating system of choice on these things, or even if running your own operating system voids the warranty, where did that just you know where where does that suddenly crop from? If if you can buy a PC and you can store whatever operating system comes from it, I'm okay to accept that. Like like the example of CR48, that if you're going to change, uh, if you're going to switch out of like how the machine is shipped, then it could void warranty. That's perhaps good from a consumer point of sta uh, standpoint and it's good from the, the standpoint of the hardware manufacturer because they've got to deal with support phone calls and having to support every operating system isn't technically practical for them but then you get down to a, a slippery slope that that how would how far would desktop Linux succeed if having downloading the ISO and installing it would void your warranty on your computer that's fine for a geek we don't give a damn about warranties in the first place but you know it goes into this strange gray area where using your freedom puts you at a disadvantage and puts you into a legal gray area that that, that really shouldn't exist in the first place I think it's incredibly worrying that we that the that it's actually less often that there's fewer choices out there for phones that you can install your own operating system there. It's not the default choice. It's not the, the most common thing. Yeah, but, I mean, I think that if you, if you ship a product and it's got a piece of hardware and it's got a piece of software that is working together and it's shipped by you, um, I don't think that from a, from a company standpoint it is strange or unacceptable to say look if you tamper with it too much and i think replacing your phone software is tampering to a great degree because the software is a very large part of 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 that pie then i think that it is very reasonable for a company to say look if you do that it's fine we will give you the opportunity but it will avoid your warranty i don't think that's too crazy i mean if you, i'm not sure how that's you know the you know the omnipresent car analogy but if you buy a car or and you replace the engine with something entirely different and because of that change the car crashes to a tree and, and and you die then well of course you won't be able to claim <laughs> the warranty okay you get like uh, you're really injured i mean would you be able to still sue the car company because you changed 
you you change your card considerably. So uh, I think actually technically you can in the U.S. Yeah, but that's the U.S. So <laughs> I, mean, I know, I know, I know. But still. sorry, that was too easy. You set yourself up there. <laughs> and the scary easy. thing is, is yes, that, that's a perfectly valid argument. In fact, actually, you know, I'm not really in disagreement with you there. The problem is, is how many years down the line does it take before you go from that to you go to the point where your choice of software is basically removed? Right. And the, the open source product, you, you know, you get closed down systems where you can't load your own operating systems on it, so therefore people don't write operating systems for it, and, and you just, you know, gradualism, uh, you know, you, people get used to a closed system, and they get used to the carriers dictating that you can't do this on their network, whereas the internet, you know, whereas going through a, for a, uh, a telephone line is somehow some substantially different than going over the wireless network, when in reality the internet's just the internet. That, that yeah, sort of madness. That. I love that one. When the internet is, is traveling over wireless, then it's a different internet. It's a different internet, yeah, there's no internet neutrality over wireless. <laughs> Yeah, it is different but because that's you know, the madness wire, it actually works. Sorry. And, and, and the, no, it's all right. I mean, what I'm saying is that that madness is as crazy it is. If we let it slide, then then they can build upon that madness. That's the problem. Is it's, it's it's okay if they want to say that if you change the software on your product, you void the warranty. But then comes the next thing after that, where they build upon that and they 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 start restricting even more. That is, but yeah, that could be. A problem down the line but it, there has to be some sort of balance between that because you know I as much as I like to rail against companies in general because you know I don't really like companies but um, you can't expect them to support bloody everything right there has to be a line somewhere but I'm also not a very big proponent of you know putting everything into a law or any or, or something so it, it, it has to be some sort of line that makes sense and uh, it, it, the problem is that, of course, that every device is different. I mean, people are much more open and accepting about not being able to load whatever software they want on their phone. But if you would give them the same sort of restrictions on a computer or a laptop, they, you know, they would not find that acceptable. So it, it also differs per device and probably per user as well. So it may, that makes it really difficult to, to walk as a company to walk that line. And I think that. You know, some companies are doing a pretty good job. I think that, like I said, what Google is doing with the CR48, that's a really good example of how well, you should do it. And true. But it, that's only a hardware prototype. That doesn't represent anything that will be going to a shop um, because the, the hardware itself will be done by their manufacturing partners like Acer. And as we know, OEMs are fantastic at screwing up PCs. Um, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. and, and not taking the, more, the, 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 the sort of more honest approach to things. That is true. Okay. Well, anyway, the the um uh, one thing I did want to cover was basically the emergence of HTML5 as an operating system, or basically as a replacement for traditional operating systems, or as an a, a, a operating platform. yeah as a platform for doing work. Um and and Google's Chrome OS is is obviously you know a big part about that. We've been talking about the CR48. And we should say that that that, that it is basically a prototype uh, laptop by Google that just runs Chrome OS, so that it is just essentially a web browser and not a normal desktop operating system. And it's quite a custom machine because Google have obviously tried to build the best thing that they can. So it has an SSD. the The operating system is is purposely written to work best on SSDs. It's as fast as possible. It has a small amount of storage because it's just for uh, for for storing the operating system and for your temporary data and everything. Else is done through the web, etc. So it's very custom bit of hardware. 
Um, but Google Chrome OS is is been met a lot with a lot of sort of meh from the the, the sort of geek community because again yep. they can't really see HTML5 and well they can't see the web as a complete replacement for everything that they're currently doing with their desktop computers, video can, editing, audio editing, on anything really. No, I can see the web as a replacement, but the problem is is that the web generally doesn't work, as in there's no connection. In my town, there is no 3G here. And I live in one of the richest countries in the world. So you can imagine what that's like in basically any other country. It's going to be more problematic that you won't have a connection or that it craps out or that it doesn't work. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's fine if you live in New York and you, know, you go from Starbucks to university back to your dorm or whatever. But it doesn't work that way if you live anywhere like more in the real world, basically. It just doesn't work because you don't, I, I don't have a connection. I have a connection at home, I have a connection at my parents' place and at my friends, and that's it. Anywhere else, and I don't have a connection around here. I think so, well, that's why they bundled it with, uh, with uh, wireless access at a low rate. Unfortunately, yeah, but, that's, that only works in the United States right now due to marketing issues. Yeah, but outside of that, I don't have 3G no, it's not here. Good. So I ca I, even with that package, I wouldn't be able to do anything, even if it, did, it, even if it wasn't locked. To the U.S., I still wouldn't be able to actually use it because, uh, you know, to get 3G, I have to drive to Alkmaar, to the city like down south. That's the first place where I can actually get 3G connectivity. So, uh, right, Chrome OS is still missing one very big HTML5 component, and that is it lacks a lot of offline facility. The spec is there in the W3C, but the problem is a lot of the applications, especially those that Google are espousing, do not have that capability yet. Yeah, and they're planning on implementing that. That's the missing oh, piece yeah, yeah. to Chrome OS. I mean, at the beginning of this year, I didn't, I, I didn't even believe that Chrome OS would even be feasible. But over the last year, I'm looking at a lot of cloud-based applications and re doing a lot of research into that field. I'm finding that it is actually increasingly pop uh, possible. I wouldn't have believed that until Google released Google Chrome and started pushing a lot of this facility. I and then going out of my way to move some of my own activity to cloud-based applications and finding that it actually is increasingly replacing everything else on my computer. I'll tell you something that everybody's been missing um, with this whole Chrome OS thing and, and even so much as going as far to compare it with Android, which I think is actually making a mistake. Where are the most web applications in the world located? Do you know? On my screen. No. Oh, sorry. No, I don't know. In companies, in intranets, and in inside companies and enterprises yeah. and things like that, Chrome OS is a solution, a long-term solution that businesses will probably find most useful first. How much? Think how much businesses are paying for copies of Windows and Office? Exactly, um, millions That's a year, yeah. and. If and and because the web becoming more and more basically capable, more companies are starting out by writing a web application first, and especially inside of companies. And what they're going to do actually is actually a little bit more significant than that because a few years ago, the average salesperson who was on the road yeah. would be using some kind of heavy client-side application that they need to install on a laptop. And now they can use Salesforce.com and just log in with any kind exactly. of hardware that supports Businesses that interface. This is going to be asking themselves, why are we paying this much for Windows and Office just so that we can run Internet Explorer 9 or whatever browser and access our web apps when we could get this Chrome OS for free and then run our, our web apps anyway? That, I think, 
think is what the purpose of Chrome OS is. It's a long-term solution um, that will probably work for businesses first, and it will it will work with consumers eventually once this this motion of HTML5 has picked up, which will still take a number of years because, as I say, Internet Explorer 9 isn't even here yet, and it will take that just to get started. But the battle's already being fought out now because there are there are a lot of uh, organizations. I think the U.S. military was actually recently involved with a kerfuffle between Microsoft and Google because of the dependency of Office, yep. and that was flagged yeah. as an anti-competitive practice. We're already seeing things like that. I, I think the state of Minnesota moved all of their email pro software over to Google Apps, and I think that... Uh, Office, Windows, uh, Microsoft Office 365 is making some huge wins. This looks to be increasingly where things are moving because the centralized management and the lighter ability to just point the browser at this location and there you go <laughs> makes the problems of troubleshooting badly installed applications click the refresh button. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it makes it easier to change because you only need to, if there is Upgrade a faulting route. This reduces yeah. the, the need for, uh, for a heavy IT group to do a lot of desktop side management. You can basically have one guy just changing. No, that's not true. But yeah, it, it, it will. Uh, it will. Don't look behind the yeah. cloud curtain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this it is why Chrome OS makes sense compared to like Android because they think, well, the two have got to obviously merge because Android does the web as well and it's got all the applications as well. But I think, no, that's not the point. Um, like Tom, you were saying yourself, what's all this tablet nonsense about when you need a keyboard? Well, that's what Chrome OS is for, it's when you need a keyboard. Yeah, but that's is... that's kind of short-sighted in my opinion. That's saying that this operating system doesn't do keyboards. Period. That's kind of bull. We're seeing and we're seeing this even with the iPad. And I I I feel terrible. Keep bringing this up, but you can't get keyboards for tablet devices and for phone devices now that work perfectly well. A lot of that argument's just hinging upon not having the physical input device and not the capabilities of the underlying operating system. Yeah, but again, why would you? carry around um, an iPad with a keyboard where you can just buy a MacBook Air, right? That's going to be a form factor issue. There are arguments to and against. I mean, why not make why not make an iPad an iPad case that turns your iPad into into a key, oh, uh, people have done it, a yes. laptop? I mean, they exist already. <laughs> I have a much better idea. Why you know why don't we just have this the the, the lid of a laptop which holds the screen? Why can't that just be a glass panel and that when you close it, the display just switches to the other side because it's just a display on both sides? It's not two displays. It's one display that you can look at from both sides. No, so, it doesn't work that way. I would love it doesn't it work. It doesn't work that way because of future. the display technology doesn't work that way, Tom. No, but because... no, I mean like the future. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> future. <laughs> I'm talking about like, you know, space age, stuff like that. That would be awesome. <laughs> It's it's possible to actually use OLEDs to actually produce a transparent display that can be displayed on both sides. Yes, awesome. but the problem is that then you have to have a transparent medium in the middle, and that becomes a lot more difficult for us to actually do proper user interfaces on top of a bloody window that you can see, you know, to the back end of your desk. It brings a whole new term to wallpaper. <laughs> Don't trample my dreams. Don't trample my dreams. No, but really, I, I'm. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm actually kind of serious because you know if if you know what would happen if that would be possible and you could just have you know best of both worlds forget like a device where you can't type on you can just you know close the lid and use the other side 
and turn it into a tablet. There are there are actual practical concerns for design and stability and usefulness as well as cost. You could greatly in, increase the cost with a design like that whereas something like what was it the the Dell Duo which actually has a flip screen uh, <laughs> screen which flips around. Yes, it's a little silly looking, but I'm fascinated by it. Um <laughs> we have devices like this already. We've had the tablet PC that has a keyboard that rotates uh, that has a rotating screen yeah. that you can fold down this has not been a new form oh, i factor. saw them in 2003 it's well, yeah, all this argument is just centered on, on form factor instead of operating system capabilities and i'm going to be really really stubborn about this <laughs> <laughs> okay silence um have we got any more anybody else got any more Particular topics they want to just cover before we move on. Um, basically, uh, anything uh, big in 2010. Uh, let's see here. Um, well, with Android, there was Froyo, there was Gingerbread. Nice stuff there. We've already talked about it. Windows Phone Seven. Yeah. Any oh, I'm getting a Windows Phone Seven device. Actually, Are you I'm getting a HTC. Yeah, I'm. I, I, um, uh, getting for review a, a HTC. HD7, and the only reason I wanted that one is because it has a humongous screen, and I love that, like 4.3 inch. But uh, my request to Google for a CR48 goes on deaf ears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sucks. But yeah, so we'll have a we'll have a review uh, for that. Some I, I'm I'm hoping that thing will finally arrive um, in the coming week because I'm really anxious about it. I really want to know what it's like to use it because I have this idea that you know from the reviews and the videos that I've seen that Windows Phone 7 is actually the first mobile operating system that takes steps away from the desktop paradigm because despite all the hoopla that you get about Android and, and the iOS, they're still basically desktops because you still have, you know, like, place with icons and you, have, you launch one app and then you close it to do something else in another application. So it's oh, still... I argue that point. I agree completely as a matter of fact. springboard metaphor. Yeah, but we call that a desktop in, you know, normal, non um, sorry, I speak. So yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's 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 very distinctly related that you can still see the facial feature similarity. Yeah, exactly. So it's but you know Microsoft is is with Windows Phone Seven with you know with the uh, like the the panoramas where you can scroll and the the you know the idea of hubs and everything. That's truly a, a step away from you know just mm. using various different applications to do slightly uh, different things. And Why you know, did they call them it Windows? Why Microsoft? <laughs> because Windows is one of the, despite all the crap it's gotten, it's still one of the strongest brands in the world. You'd be, uh, Microsoft really? would be absolutely crazy not to use it that name. It's it would be suicide for the entire platform. It just it wouldn't work. It's you know it yes it has gotten a lot of crap, but you know it's basically like General Motors. They aren't changing their name either, even though they've had like twenty years of utter crap going on. <laughs> so they still keep and, that name. Yeah, so, and the, the whole seven business really really could be broken down to uh, one. There is a practical consideration given and given the operating system legacy that it has, but it also does have a natural marketing tie-in with Windows Seven, yeah. not Windows Phone Seven, Windows Desktop Seven, <laughs> and many companies like IBM and Oracle and such do like having all of their major product lines under the same version. Yeah. Even if it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Windows 7, the 7 in and of itself was already slightly debatable because I believe that um, Windows Vista was 6.0. Yes, Windows and, 7 is 6.1. <clears throat> yeah, 
because yep. the, the, <laughs> the you know the kernel level changes uh, weren't um, extensive enough to make like a 7.0 and of course it's still a marketing it's just a market a stupid marketing trick but you know if it works for them you know fine by me i don't really care but yeah it makes sense for them to call it windows phone 7 and not just windows phone period or windows phone 10 or something it doesn't suck this time <laughs> yeah windows phone doesn't suck this time <laughs> i have that no idea if it sucks stores. <laughs> it, it might suck it might still suck i have no idea i i i haven't i haven't used it at all it's not available in actually, another place, so. the approach they're taking is is not is interesting in the sense that they are actually this time dictating hardware quite a lot um in fact significantly so um whereas before they've been somewhat lax and 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 and, and let providers do what they want yeah, it now... is a significant departure from their previous strategies. I'm really interested to see where this goes. Well, what what I like about it is the entire visual style because it's incredibly minimalistic. It's all straight lines, and that's it. And I really like that. And you know, if you compare it to what I see on Android devices and what I see on my iPhone, is that it's a lot less cartoony. So it just has a more slick and professional look than. You know the standard, you know, candy-colored icons of the iPhone and 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 Android. So I right. kind of I kind of like that professional straight line look about the whole thing. But whether it actually works, because you know a lot of things look great in theory, but you know they don't work very well in practice. And uh, it's it's it, it looks really good, and I'll, now I just have to see if it you know if it actually works. I'm, Obviously, I'm really the next step that we must take in the mobile space is to create mobile ISPF. You have to bring up a virtual keyboard to, uh, to hit the PF7 key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that we... Uh... I think we've done over an hour now. Um, I was yeah. going to just, bef- uh, to finish off, essentially basically look at what, what, what our predictions and what, where we feel things will be going in 2011. Oh I, could say <laughs> with, I can say with a lot of confidence, and I'm really sure about this, that we will see more lawsuits. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And I also think that we will definitely see a lot of people complaining about Apple and we'll see a lot of people praising Apple. Uh, and we'll see a lot of people saying that Windows is insecure even though there hasn't been a major breach in like two years. Uh, <laughs> um, we'll still see a lot of people complaining about X, uh, about, you know, Xorg on, on, on Linux, and I'm now actually ducking under my desk. Um, uh, <laughs> I think those are some pretty certain things <laughs> that we can see in 2011. Um, are you going to say this? <laughs> oh, let's see here. I'm actually think I've been thinking a lot that we're going to be seeing a lot more major organizations moving to cloud-based applications simply because it's easier to meter and deal with uh, upgrades than it is for traditional desktop-based applications. I think that's going to go further. Um. I would like to see Android finally gets uh, start really hammering on the market share and, and perhaps maybe even beating some of our major competitors, but not sure if that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think the 2011 one thing that's going to be obviously apparent is is basically HTML5 um, just becoming much much more common. People are writing are, are in the process now of writing you know much more powerful web apps and they, uh, uh, and releasing them, sodding Internet Explorer, but Internet Explorer. Niners, obviously, Microsoft are embracing this thing, so I also expect to see in 2011 uh, a, a, a very uncharacteristic and, and, and uh, behaviour from Microsoft in the web space. Uh, certainly, you know, since all of their history before them, and I also expect in 2011 as well to start to see the first HTML5 games coming out that actually show some some you know genuine potential. I don't well, think there's going to be any big sort of company backing there. It's all going to be independent stuff to begin with. Well, as long as Bioware doesn't make HTML5 games, HTML5 gaming can really, I don't really care about it. I mean, if Bioware is not on the train, then the train can, you know, go to hell for all I care. Because Bioware is... stunned when Bioware decides to make a Mass Effect 3 an HTML5 <laughs> game. <laughs> oh my god, that would be incredibly weird. You know, that I would not be playing Mass Effect. You would Mass... in your browser, though. <laughs> okay, that is kind of... <laughs> I look at all the other things between quotation marks that I can see in my browser. <laughs> Tally, but actually, there is actually fan fiction, if you know what I mean. Again, fan fiction between quotation marks. <laughs> but, you know, never mind. We're going into a really wrong direction right now. But no. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, we can that, guarantee that, in 2011 there will be more fan fiction. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> I'm really yeah no let's not talk about tally too much no but it's uh it's uh, you know um um again you know HTML5 games will be casual games which is fine I mean I spent like a week playing Minecraft years ago so it's uh, so it, it, that's okay yeah. imagine if Minecraft was in HTML5 good grief well it's basically the world Java, would cease to work yeah but it's it, it's it's in Java no what I hope is that we're going to see Minecraft on the Xbox because. I you know I played a couple of Minecraft on uh, a couple of days Minecraft on, on my PC, but you know my PC is for work and it's not for um, for playing games. You know when I play games, I want to you know lie on the couch and use the damn controller. Uh, I would really love for Microsoft to contact Notch, uh, the the developer behind um, 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 Minecraft, and somehow get it on. Um, Xbox Live because it is possible that Xbox can power it easily. But the problem is that Minecraft is written in Java for some reason. Well, the reason it's, it's written in Java is because that was the programming language he knew. So you know, it's uh, it's yeah, that's not it's just his choice. But I would love to have Minecraft on just on a console. And just well, this is what's interesting it. is that it's obviously written in Java because that offers the the easiest sort of portability of 3D basic 3D graphics. Um, you can also play it within a web browser through a Java plugin. It's a, and it's the language you know. But if we were talking Minecraft coming out in three years' time, um, he probably would have done it in JavaScript, and then it would work in a web browser, and it would work in your web browser in your on your console, and it would be portable to just basically almost anything. Yeah. But as it stands in Java, it's very difficult to port it anywhere that Java isn't going to run, especially games consoles. Yeah, but still, I, I, I think that both Sony and Microsoft, they will, in the ne in 2011, they will contact Mojang, which is the, the company that he set oh, yeah. up. They will contact It's already him. had an offer from um, Valve. Yeah, it, they, they, it, really? it, will, it will eventually work. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised even if Microsoft would, and Sony would say, look, um, we will help you developer-wise get it on our console. And, you know, it, it's, I mean, because it, it, when I look at the Xbox, it's already pretty open, you know, again, between quotation marks compared to uh, 
uh, compared to what you would think from yeah. a Microsoft product. It's, it's relatively open, it's relatively easy to get your game on it. And even though I would, I wouldn't even put it past Microsoft to create um, some you know version of Java that you wouldn't actually see, but that would just you know accompany yeah. the actual Minecraft product because it yeah, an emulator like or cross compiler or something like that. To, to yeah. I mean, all it is is bytecode. But then obviously you get into the whole problem with patents and and Oracle kind of yeah. But Oracle and Microsoft are big buddies, so that's oh, true. absolutely no problem. So that's that won't be any form of a problem. Yeah, in uh, which case, yeah, in fact, actually, that seems quite possible. If they're, they're chums with Oracle, then they could probably port a, a simple JVM to... Um, yeah, a JVM completely tailored towards... Um, console. Yeah, yeah, towards console, but also making sure that at least Minecraft works, and then in the future, you know, yeah, it, if anybody else makes uh, a Java game, they can just add, if and, and it gets really popular. Because I think there's an incredible amount of potential in getting something like Minecraft, which is so popular, and so um, has so much potential also for the future, to keep getting better and bigger, and, you know, and uh, of course the multiplayer platform like Xbox Live is, you know, Best of breed. I mean, it's it's uh, Xbox Live is really good. So it's um, 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 it 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 has a lot of it, it, there's a lot of you know they could combine that really well. And I'm really hoping that Microsoft isn't sleeping in that regard because they're sleeping on me- about many things in many markets. But I really hope that they bring Minecraft to the uh, to the console because I really want to play it again. But I'm not going to do it behind my PC, clicking my finger till it's completely oh, yeah, no. annoying. I can't do that. It it just it's not possible because I also work on that same machine. I work from home. It's a translator, so I already use that machine like hours, like seven hours a day, and I don't want to, you know, when I want to play a game, I want to sit on my ass and just use my controller uh, behind my uh, TV and not, you know, on my computer. So I would really hope um, if they bring Minecraft to that they bring Minecraft to a console, even if it's a PS3, I'll finally buy the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really want to play Minecraft some more. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, prediction for 2011: Minecraft is going to be even bigger. <laughs> <laughs> without a doubt yeah okay I think that's everything we can uh, wrap this thing up uh-huh. uh, what do we say um, as usual uh, the website is osnews.com um, any feedback please email us at uh, podcast at osnews.com I think that still works it's crew at osnews.com alright I think we got a forwarder but yeah crew at osnews.com um and uh, that's about all. Please leave your comments on the website once this is up. Okay. Cool. And with that, um, we wish you uh, a merry season or whatever it is you're doing. And, uh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and uh, an enjoyable uh, journey into 2011. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.